Hello everyone. My name is John, and welcome to episode 15 of the Tech Leader Pro podcast. Today I'm going to try to convince you of the benefits of the Scrum process, in spite of some common apprehensions you may have about it. So let's begin. I've been using the Scrum process successfully to deliver software applications for many years. For me, it is my default approach that just works. So rather than spending time trying to invent a new process, I simply just fall back to using regular Scrum. In recent years, however, Scrum is falling out of fashion. I don't know why, as I have been too busy just using the process, but I've read many posts online and heard some people say that Scrum doesn't work and even that we live in a post-Scrum world. In spite of this, I still use Scrum and my position is that, firstly, Scrum works well for my teams and I, Secondly, I have not found a better way. When I find an alternative to Scrum that fits better, I will use that too. I've had some success with Kanban with support teams, for example, where sprints make less sense. But for the majority of cases where I want to deliver something in phases, I still use Scrum. I will now try to sell Scrum to you in case you still have doubts. But before I do, I will give you an overview of Scrum itself as a refresher for old hands or as an introduction for newcomers. It is also important to note that I'm not obsessed with any process. I'm a pragmatist, not a zealot. As soon as I find something better than Scrum, I will drop it. So what is Scrum? Scrum is a process that has two aims. Firstly, to deliver something in phases or iterations, for example, a project or application release. Secondly, to continually improve the process itself via retrospectives. Each iteration or sprint typically has a planning phase at the beginning, an implementation phase making up the majority of time in the middle, and finally a retrospective at the end. Let's break that down further and define those terms one by one by describing a typical sprint starting on the first day. So on day one we have planning. On the first day, the team get together with their stakeholder, usually referred to as a product owner or product manager, and they agree on the scope of the upcoming sprint. Higher priority tasks are taken in first, or those that are dependencies for other teams. Each task is then estimated. It is important to estimate the size of each task, as it will help the team to plan capacity better, and also to track the level of completion during the sprint. We'll discuss that more later. A task is estimated in either days or story points, which are points that the team agrees to assign to a task that roughly equate to whether it is a small, medium, large or extra-large effort. Often the team will estimate in a group, and each member assigns an amount of points to each task, and the most common value assigned will be selected. That approach is often called planning poker, and therefore the meeting itself is often called a planning game. The benefit of the planning game approach is that estimates are peer-reviewed and weighted. It is also important to note that the estimates need to be inclusive. For example, they should not only include the implementation time, but they should also allow for design and testing activities. Once the scope is decided and the estimates are recorded, each task is then assigned to an owner for the upcoming sprint, matching the nature of the task to the skill set of the team member. All told, a proficient team should be able to complete their planning game in one or two hours. Next up, we move to the implementation phase. During the main part of the sprint, the team are busily building and testing their new features bug fixes, or whatever other tasks that have been assigned to them. 
I like to think that the team have a virtual do not disturb sign on them, meaning the best thing you can do as a leader is to ensure that you do not interrupt their flow and try to prevent others from doing the same. In each team, a scrum master should be assigned. That can be a permanent role for somebody, or I've also seen it being successfully done via agreed upon rotation within the team. The scrum master has three important jobs. Firstly, run the daily stand-up meeting. Secondly, ensure that nobody is blocked from progressing. And thirdly, gather the team feedback for the retrospective. The daily stand-up or daily scrum is one of the main benefits of the scrum process as it gets the team talking to each other at least once per day and any blocking issues are raised immediately to the scrum master. Scrum is light on process and light on meetings. Therefore, there is a real reason why it's called a stand-up meeting. Before the days of remote work and Zoom, when I started my career, stand-up meetings were face-to-face, in a circle, with team members literally standing up. The aim is to keep the meeting short, as nobody likes standing up for too long. Those meetings are supposed to be uncomfortable, to keep people on topic and stop them from digressing. Sadly, with the move to Zoom meetings, we have lost that feature, so the need for good meeting discipline is even higher now. The person responsible for maintaining those good meeting habits is the Scrum Master. An experienced Scrum Master will typically ask each team member only three questions in each meeting. What did you finish yesterday? What are you working on today? And finally, are you blocked on anything? If they answer no to the last question, then they move on to the next person. If they answer yes, the Scrum Master needs to identify who in the team can help unblock the topic and then schedule a follow-up meeting with just those people after the stand-up. I hope you are seeing now that scrum meetings are short, to the point and quick. If they are running too long, it's a red flag. Now on the last day, we have retrospectives. You remember those story point estimates the team assigned during the planning game. During the sprint, those points will be borne through as the time is being spent on building and testing the solution. The scrum master will be able to plot this on a borne down chart that are generated automatically by tools like Jira that show the effort over time being burned through. Ideally, the burn down chart goes down at approximately 45 degrees from left to right until it reaches zero on the last day of the sprint. In reality, that rarely happens, but that is perfectly fine as it's meant to be an ideal target, not a hard cut off. Sometimes your burn down hits zero too early, meaning you overestimated the effort during planning but more often than not, your burn down never reaches zero by the end of the sprint because you underestimated the effort. In general, in the software industry, underestimation of tasks, sprints, and projects is endemic. And I have my own theories about why that is, but that's a topic for another episode. Once the Scrum Master has the final burn down chart for the sprint, the next thing to do is to run a retrospective meeting with the team and ask again each member only three questions consisting of the following. Firstly, what went well during the sprint? Secondly, what went badly during the sprint? And thirdly, are there any improvement actions that we need to take? This meta step is very important in Scrum. Remember we discussed before that Scrum is not just about delivering something, but it is also about improving the process itself per iteration. Therefore, each team may end up tweaking their process in different ways, which is absolutely fine. Once that feedback has been gathered anonymously by the Scrum Master, it is aggregated into their sprint report alongside their burndown chart. Finally, it's a good idea to gather all of the teams together into a wider review 
for one or two hours to enable each scrum master to present their reports, discuss improvement actions, and finally for the team members themselves to demo what they have built during the sprint to their peers. Those demos are a key cultural touchpoint for you, the leader, to ensure that their achievements are praised in public and healthy peer review is happening on a feature-by-feature basis. Review demos should be fun, and the more demos there are, the more real work that has been delivered per sprint. If the demo count is low, naturally that is a red flag that needs to be addressed. Before we proceed, let's talk about the origins of Scrum. Scrum was built upon the ideas of several predecessors, but it is broadly agreed that the creators of Scrum, as we know it today, are Ken Schweiber and Jeff Sutherland, in their joint paper called Business Object Design and Implementation, presented at the OOP SLA 95 workshop. Scrum is an example of an agile process, meaning it aims to adhere to the Agile Manifesto, of which Ken and Jeff are co-authors. That manifesto contains the following opening statement on their website. Quote, We are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. Through this work, we came to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, responding to change over following a plan. That is, while there is value on the items on the right, we value the items on the left more, end quote. It's a great statement of intent. My favorite aspect of it being to value people over process and to embrace change. Scrum being an agile process is actually very light on the process part. You could explain the entire process on a single sheet of paper. Instead, it's best to think of Scrum as a framework for people to collaborate together, who share a common goal to build and release something. If you want to get a deeper dive into Scrum, including its origins, I would strongly recommend the book, Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, the link for which is in the episode notes on my blog. Next up, let's talk about the underrated benefits of Scrum. Now we have discussed what Scrum is, now we can review some of the benefits. Rather than giving you the textbook benefits, instead I will present my own personal benefits based upon using Scrum in the field for many years. There are different benefits for different people. Firstly, we will look at the benefits to the practitioner, then the customer, and finally the manager. For the practitioner in the Scrum team, you get a high degree of certainty about what you need to work on next. The tasks brought into the sprint for you have been planned, prioritized, and estimated, and therefore are ready for sprint. Part of that ready for sprint definition is also agreeing upon the definition of done for each sprint task. Meaning in plain English, the team are not only agreeing upon the sprint entry criteria for each task, but also the sprint exit criteria when the task is considered done. For example, the feature is tested and integrated into the next release. All of this removes any doubt around the question, what am I doing next? You already know because you were part of the planning game along with the rest of the team. The practitioner has clarity. In addition, they have an escalation process via the Scrum Master in case that clarity breaks down or there is some other issue that is impacting upon their ability to deliver on their sprint tasks. Finally, the practitioner has a voice and a number of forums like sprint planning games, stand-ups, reviews, retrospectives, etc. in order to express their opinions or suggestions. Scrum is an open, transparent process where everyone is accountable for a successful outcome. 
For the customer, be they internal or external stakeholders, Scrum gives them the visibility into what is being worked on next and certainty that they will receive their deliveries in iterations. They don't have to wait 12 months before they get their hands on their release. Instead, they can receive frequent small releases in iterations to play with and more importantly, give feedback on that immediately. That flexibility to give ongoing feedback and change upcoming sprint priorities based upon changing requirements makes Scrum a very agile process. Lastly, for the manager, the main benefit in my mind is the ability to have visibility into what is happening now via the current sprint dashboard and what is happening next via the sprint backlog. The manager can help shape priorities in the backlog to ensure higher priority tasks are brought into the next sprint sooner, or they can de-scope tasks that are no longer relevant. Personally, I love to drive processes by metrics as much as possible. I tell my teams that facts are more important than feelings. And Scrum gives me that reassurance that the Sprint dashboard will act as a single source of truth for my teams and I. One of the Scrum habits I insist on is no sizable task, say for example one day or more, should be carried out unless there is a corresponding ticket for that task in the dashboard. Put simply, if there is no ticket, it's not being tracked, so in my mind, it does not even exist, and no resources will be allocated to it. Scrum is about always moving tasks and topics forward, and that forward motion, or velocity, is measurable via the burn-down charts. A good Scrum team has good velocity, and tasks being consistently closed within their estimates. Velocity is the key metric for Scrum, and measuring and maintaining a good velocity per Scrum team is one of the main management goals. Put simply, the burn-down is the pulse, or tempo, of your teams. The healthier the tempo, the more that will be delivered at the end of the sprints. But it's not all good. Now let's look at reasons why Scrum might fail. Scrum usually fails due to undercommitment. Most organizations that fail to successfully implement Scrum do so due to half implementing it. They cherry pick some of the parts they like, then bolt them onto their existing processes and call that Scrum. And they then complain that Scrum doesn't work when their efforts falter over time. I once worked with a manager at an insurance firm and he told me, we don't do agile, but we deliver in an agile-like manner. Some people like the terminology around agile processes, but are less eager about the hard work and commitment required to actually make them work. In another company, we in the engineering teams used to joke that we were doing agile, which was the unwelcome marriage of waterfall and agile in the same Frankenstein-like process. You could summarize agile as waterfall with sprints, and is remarkably common in the wild. If your organization has a dedicated PMO, or project management office, project and program managers, Gantt charts, and even Microsoft project licenses, then chances are very high that you are not doing Scrum, even though some folks are claiming the opposite. Scrum in many ways is the anti-process. The whole point of the Agile Manifesto is to put people before process. Your Scrum process should be definable on a single slide. Any more than that is over-engineered. So let's wrap up and recap what we covered today. Firstly, we said, in spite of Scrum falling out of favor with some, for me, it is still my go-to process for delivering software until I discover something better. At a high level, Scrum delivers releases via iterations and reviews of the process itself in those same iterations. You can consider it to be a self-adjusting process or framework that the team is using and it can adjust every sprint. 
A Scrum Master is responsible for ensuring the process runs smoothly, the deliveries are fast, and nobody is blocked for too long. Each sprint is broken into three phases. A planning game at the beginning, a main implementation phase in the middle where the work is done, and finally a retrospective at the end to view demos and review all of the outcomes. During the development phase, the team have daily stand-up meetings and track their delivery velocity via a burn-down chart. Ideally, all work should be burned down to zero by the end of the sprint. Scrum is an example of an agile process. The principles for such processes are defined in the Agile Manifesto. Broadly speaking, those processes are light and favor human collaboration over bureaucratic processes. Some of the benefits of Scrum include certainty over what needs to be worked on next, early releases to customers via iterations, earlier customer feedback, plus the flexibility to adjust the delivery plan based upon that feedback and other external conditions. Where Scrum fails, typically in my experience, is due to poor implementation. For example, trying to bolt Scrum onto an existing waterfall process and then watching that fail, while at the same time blaming Scrum for not working. Lastly, I would like to briefly mention our sponsor, 5.today, which is the ideal product to help busy tech leaders to manage their days. 5.today is a highly secure personal productivity application designed to help you manage your priorities more effectively by focusing on your five most important tasks that you need to achieve each day. Our goal is to help you to keep track of all of your tasks, notes, and journals in one beautifully simple place, which is highly secure via end-to-end encryption. Visit the URL 5.today to sign up for free. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to covering the next topic in the series with you soon. In the interim, if you want to follow me online, you can find my blog at techleader.pro or follow me on Twitter at TechLeaderPro. Thanks for your time. Take care and have a great week.